0: All right, and that is the new single by Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Moody Blues lead guitarist, vocalist, and composer Justin Hayward. It's called Living for Love. Justin is currently kicking off his voice of the Moody Blues UK tour, and he's taking out some time tonight to join us here on WGN Radio. Justin, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Dave. Just the lyrics behind this new song. I'm driving through the land we knew to find that sacred ground where moonlight on the innocence, wildest dreams were found. We lay there till the break of day, lovers, me and you. I had to give my heart away. What else could I do? It was really reflecting on your teenage years. Life was simpler, your your whole life ahead of you. It was really what inspired the lyrics in the song, isn't it?
1: I think so, yes. I mean, we we all, I think every writer looks back to their teenage years so formative uh, musically as well. And uh, I think particularly my own generation, um, growing up through the sort of late 50s and then 60s, um, it was a time of optimism and confidence and everybody was moving forward determined that there should never be another war like there had been. Right, right. And I, I think, um, you know, if you were in a, a loving family like me and my brother and my sister, you know, that, that we could just think about music. We were free to think about music. In fact, we could always get a job. That was one of the most important things. So it was kind of you always had something to fault. You know, you could always work in an office if the music thing didn't work out. But the music that we were listening to, was so kind of formative in those years and i know my my brother and i we owned maybe three records mm-hmm. but we knew friends who had three records and then you'd go to somebody's house and they so you you could make a whole night of listening to music just with your friends and yeah. their records yeah. you know and um that's what being young is about but I, I, there's also references in this song to my life now and um yeah, and I, I'm just consider myself very lucky to be to be able to be true to my goals of making um, music live and, and recording. You know, I'm I'm very lucky for that. And um, you know, there's a lot of love, man, in music.
0: It's yeah, like, yeah. There's nice. no question. Yeah, yeah no question. Yeah. I know you were, you were talking about like getting an office job while you make it or break it or whatever it might be. But many artists earlier in their career took other jobs until they made it. You never had a day job, so to speak. This has been your life, right? <laughs> no, that's right. That's
1: right. Yeah. And God forbid that I should ever have to do anything else, but I was totally useless. I might be able to work in a guitar <laughs> shop. But, okay, um, that's
0: fair. All right, that's fair. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, that's um, Yeah, that's that's about it. I I did work in an office for about two months after I left school, but I was only I was in groups in my hometown. And then I was just answering advertisements in the paper for for things. And, um, you know, I got lucky with Marty Wild and uh, again with the Moody's
0: really. Yeah, you really do credit Marty for those those early years and, and really getting you into the Moody Blues. I mean, you pretty much answered an ad.
1: I did. I answered an advertisement in a paper called The Melody Maker, and it said, um, named singer seeks guitar player. (laughs) And and, um, mind you, I I was answering about 20 ads a week. Yeah, okay. But this one, somebody actually replied, and I went (laughs) up to an audition in East London, and Marty Wilde opened the door. Now, Marty, in case anybody... Uh, around there doesn't know Ma- marty wild is kim wild's father but marty was a, a big rock and roll hero mm-hmm. and uh, y- you know in 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 those great days between 59 and kind of 66 uh, was was really at the top there with cliff and the shadows and um and still is marty is still touring on the road now but he told wow. me to you know to to Survive in the business. You got to write your own songs. And who's? I I loved him then. He was a mentor then, and still is today. To this day.
0: We're talking to Justin Hayward. His new single is "Living for Love." He's currently on tour, and we will spend some more time with this rock and roll Hall of Famer right after this on seven twenty WGN. Day Player 720 WGN. We're talking to Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Moody Blues lead guitarist, vocalist, composer, Justin Hayward. His new single is called Living for Love. You know, within a few years of of the Moody Blues coming together and you joined the band in, in 66, Days of Future Past was the second album for the Moody Blues. Nights in White Satin was and still is the top single ever for the Moody Blues. You wrote and composed the song, in your late teenage years inspired by a girlfriend who gave you satin bed sheets. And you use that as a metaphor for the song.
1: You, you know, I was at the, I've been asked so many times to explain this song and I'm not even sure myself. It's <laughs> okay. a curious thing in your life to have to look back to yeah. about four minutes <laughs> yeah. that yeah. happened to you yeah. in, in, in a, in a little room in, in West London one night. Right. And, uh, I've tried to explain it, but I'm not I'm not even sure because no in in the 60s nobody else asked you what a song was about they, they, it was just like oh what but that's what it is you know but um yeah, I was at the end of one big love affair and at the beginning of another and when you're that age, that stuff is really important mm, to you
0: right
1: and uh, I just wrote the two verses and um you know, I don't think anybody in the Moody Blues... I don't think we ever thought that anybody would hear this stuff. We were just on our way, just doing something. And um, the opportunity to record Days of Future Past came along. It was an idea of the record company. And uh, it was a lucky day for us when they when they did approach us for this project, you
0: know. it's so, um, pretty yeah. cool. I know. And you taught yourself how to play the guitar after you learned how to play the ukulele, right?
1: Well, m- maybe a lot of kids, when they pester their parents for um, a guitar, <laughs> parents <laughs> will say, hey, <laughs> here, here's, a, here's a $5 ukulele first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's pretty easy. Ding, 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 is the tuning. But it really, it's the same as the top four strings of the guitar, except the, the bottom string of a uke is, much, is, is an octave higher. Mm-hmm. But if you can play the Uke, you're well on the way to playing the chord of G.
0: We're talking to Justin Hayward of the Moody Blues. His new single is Living for Love. He's currently on tour. We'll spend some more time with this Rock and Roll Hall of Famer after the news next here on 720 WGN. Day player 720 WGN. We're talking to Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Moody Blues lead guitarist, vocalist, composer Justin Hayward. His new single is called Living for Love. When diving into music, I know... You were inspired by, you know, Buddy Holly and Elvis. But what made sense to me is you had mentioned Johnny Ray and recognized for his jazz oh. and blues influence music. You know, it, he was really his music was a precursor to what eventually became rock and roll. I think that's right. Yeah. Do you know,
1: do you know, Dave, you're the only person to mention that. And um, yeah, because I, I I heard him could have only been about five years old Mm -hmm. and there was something that cry in his voice that break in his voice really kind of got me and I think the industry was quite cruel to him actually over the years but he really had something a kind of lonely he was in a sort of lonely place which really um, struck home with me and I do you think many people know who john no Ray was? i don't no i, I don't no. but when
0: you say lonely place blues i mean that does make great sense
1: yeah i, I it was a kind of eerie kind of sound yeah. on on his records and in his voice and um yeah so, so many influences from that from that time but but you're right but we mentioned buddy and then of course i'd heard of elvis but and I'd heard a couple of things on the radio, but it wasn't until I heard Buddy Holly that I was able to focus on what I wanted to to do. Really, it um, easy three chords. He didn't have to stand out the front. He was in a group. He was writing songs for a group, and he was singing with a group, and he was playing that playing the guitar. It all just oh, that's that's made it so right somehow.
0: Yeah yeah no question well you know what it's funny like when you and when you joined the moody blues you know you were you were kind of there the band itself was kind of seeking a new direction it was a time that all realized that they needed to reboot a bit and someone who attended a concert of yours knocked on the dressing room door and told you how he felt <laughs> about the band it was kind of a wake-up call wasn't it yeah that,
1: oh yeah, yeah yeah because we were um we, we were at a, um doing a gig up up north in fact we were doing like they they were like cabaret they're called working men's clubs and our price had really dropped to about thirty dollars a night just enough to be able to buy buy the gas to get us there and uh, um there was a knock on the door and this guy came in and um <laughs> we, we had no idea and he said he, he said he, I thought I'd tell you," he said. "You're the worst band I've ever seen in my life," he said. "And somebody ought to tell you." And yeah, um, yeah. I, I I started to my bottom lip started to quiver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. I know Ray, Ray Thomas came over to me and put his arm around me, and and I could see a little tear in his eye. And then we were we were on the way home in our in our van and nobody had said anything and but there's a little voice came from the back of our van and it was graham our drummer he was lying on the melotron because that was the <laughs> the it was a that was a good place to be okay all right apparently yeah. and and he said he's right that bloke you know he's right we're rubbish <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what it literally took. the next
1: day yeah literally the next day we just well we were lousy at rhythm and blues you know the, the, we were, yeah. By the time I joined, we were pretty lousy on huh? it. But we were good at our own stuff. So we just gave that a go and gave it a couple of weeks, and it started to work for us.
0: Well, you, you always know. mentioned too. you there was just a series of what you call, I love how you you phrased this, a bunch of wonderful accidents, and, and one of which was Decca Records, who wanted to promote stereo to consumers, and you were kind of wrapped up in that in a in a very cool way. We were,
1: because Decca, London Records in America, um, Decca had their own consumer division, so they were keen on promoting their own radiograms and record players, and they really, because most of their catalogue was classical music, they had the second largest classical catalogue in the world, maybe still do, um, apart from Deutsche Grammophon, which had the largest, and they um, their interest was in making long playing records and they wanted to demonstrate really that stereo could be as interesting for rock and roll as it was for classical music. And they, we actually had a debt to them, I think left by some previous managers that were only around for a few months, but had Mm -hmm. taken an advance. And, um, they approached us with this idea of, um, juxtapositioning our music with um, kind of classical music. And it was Peter Knight and one of the executives from Decca, which came, who came up with this idea of um, making a theme around our songs. And, um, yeah, we were very lucky. We were doing a pretty much a stage show, which was kind of... Mike had written a song called Dawn is a Feeling, which I love, and... And I had nights sometime before we recorded it for Decca and everything just fell into place. And like you say, it was a it was a a series of wonderful kind of accidents and the right people in Decca at that time, which which were all kind of elderly gentlemen. But they understood that there's the possibilities of, of what we were about to do with this record.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to say with DECA too, you know, you, you didn't give them exactly what they wanted, but that's what an artist is supposed to do. Okay. I, I get the <laughs> roundabout about what you want, but this is our vision for it and, and present it to them. And it it they loved it eventually.
1: They did. Yeah. yeah they, they did. They wanted a kind of rock version of Dvorak, whereas right. the orchestra would then come on after we'd finished playing and or uh, just after our tracks. And our rock version of Dvorak and play the real Dvorak. And it was Peter Knight who came to see us at the 100 Club in Oxford Street who heard our stuff and said, you know, you, you boys, and I don't think you're going to get rock versions of Dvorak together, <laughs> right. but your songs are really good. Yeah. He said, well, what about if we do it the other way round?" And that's what we did. We did our songs and Peter Knight took those themes and, um, and weaved his kind of romantic magic, orchestral magic around that. Our, our stuff only took, you know, a day, to, a couple of days to record. Right. right. And um, But the orchestra on Days of Future Past was just one session, like three-hour
0: session. It's, it's unbelievable, isn't it, how you yeah. can do this? Crazy. I don't know whether you could do that. Now. No, you probably couldn't. No, you probably yeah. couldn't do it. You know, you've been touring all your life, and when you first started touring in America, at some point you toured with... What was called at the time the CTA was the Chicago Transit Authority, which mm-hmm. became Chicago. People loved the music at that time, but it was all about the fashion as well, especially in the seventies. And people loved what you wore on stage. I mean, you were setting trends.
1: Um, were we? Yeah, I I know what you mean because I I think. A, a lot of the American bands that we were mixing with and people in the business, that was one of their first, Hey, where, where'd you get your gear from, man? You know, all this stuff. And, um, but that was London, you know, we were London. It was a, was a kind of fashion center. And and I think we, yeah, we, we were lucky to have each other to say, that doesn't look very good, man, but that's that's good. You know, kind of. uh, that's funny. That's, that's funny. the great thing about being in a group, isn't
0: it? We're talking to Justin Hayward. His new single is Living for Love. He's currently on tour. And we will spend some more time with this Rock and Roll Hall of Famer right after this on 720 WGN. Day Player 720 WGN. We're talking to Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Moody Blues lead guitarist, vocalist, and composer Justin Hayward. His new single is Living for Love. Question the voice. I know you're out there somewhere. Your wildest dreams. These laid the foundation for the success story of the Moody Blues over the years. And my high school and college years were in the 1980s. So your wildest dreams. I know you're out there somewhere. Both songs brought a new generation of fans to uh, to the band. It did for me.
1: I think that's right. Yeah, a lot of people... Um, were keen to kind of write us off after the after the 70s we 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 were apart for about 3 years in the 70s and kind of came back together in 78 different um our record producer had left and his his life had changed and mike pinder had left the group sadly and i missed him very much but i knew that the rest of us really wanted to carry on And but I I think, you know, that this business is so transient, isn't it? And and, and I think um, particularly in those days, it was assumed that you could really only be successful when between the ages of about 17 and 24. And past that, you didn't have much hope. But I think we were lucky in that we had a couple of great producers. Pitt Williams, and then we met Tony Visconti. I met Tony Visconti doing a a project for the B. Well, he and I were doing a project for the BBC, and I knew that Tony was the guy to take us forward. Mm-hmm. and And his sound really is the sound of wildest dreams. And I know you're out there somewhere. What what a gift his production mm-hmm. style was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fantastic.
0: But you know, here's the thing too, though you you know some bands, and you know this too, that in, in that era when rock and roll bands try to transform themselves into the '80s, into the '90s, they kind of lost their footing. They they stepped away from the band that they were, and their sound was different. I think you guys always kept the soul to your music, where you where you started.
1: I I, I hope so. I think we did, yeah. I think we did, and uh, we were always ready to to move with the times. I think I think the fact that we'd had that time apart in the seventies um, gave us all a chance to be something. The guys who wanted to remain together in the band to be gave us a chance to be something outside of the band and to really absorb other music and and what was happening, and. Um, it's interesting about how your sort of philosophy of life, if you like, mm-hmm. comes out in your music, and it, once you kind of live that out, it 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 makes the music a bit more interesting. And um, yeah, we we were we were very fortunate in the '80s to be with a great record company again. You, you know, I think the record company changed hands, so sure. it became PolyGram. I think, yeah, I mm-hmm. think Decca was bought out. But the the guys that were with us then that heard wildest dreams were like, yes, I'm on board with this, and um, I I think we had knew as a group we had to just keep m- moving with our sound, keep the same spirit in there, but just keep moving with it, and um, and and we did. And American radio was there for us. It was just brilliant.
0: Brilliant. What what time in in your career? Uh, And especially with the Moody Blues, you know, whether you were performing in front of a live audience, whether you were recognized somewhere, like, what was that moment that you said, wow, like, we've really made something of this group. And it just kind of, it was that moment in your life that said, wow, we've, we've made it.
1: Well, I think that happened to us in the in the seventies. It happened to me then, and we did we played Madison Square Garden twice in the same day, wow. Wow. and and we did two shows, one in the afternoon, one in the evening, and we I, we weren't celebrities or personalities or anything, so nobody knew what we looked like. But but in the in between these two shows, Ray and I went out on the street. And Ray saw this guy, a ticket tout, uh, uh, what what do you call them there? Scalper.
0: Scalper. Scalper, right, yeah.
1: And um, Ray went up to him and just bought all his tickets for a couple of hundred bucks or something. And then we just gave them away to people. And they were like, oh, I love you, man. That's great. Wow. and uh, nobody knew who we were, but we looked up. I remember distinctly the two of us standing there on the pavement. We looked up, and there's a giant sign with our name on it. We hadn't been out of the building to have a look, but there was this giant sign, and w- with our name on it. And w- and we both said to e- we said to each other, maybe we've made it. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, maybe we've made it. Yeah. 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 And then we wanted to stay there.
0: Yeah, of course. Of so, course. No question. Yeah. No question. Yeah. 1999, Nights in White Sand was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame, but it was 2018, the Moody Blues, long overdue, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What did that mean to you? Oh, it was, you know, I was, I, I just, it was like a
1: big sigh of relief, I think. But for the Moody, people who love the Moody Blues music, it was kind of obvious, you know. But and, and I so wanted them to, the Moody's fans, to have what they wanted, and uh, and that was it, really. And yeah, it was such a it was such a pleasure for us, and um, you know, for us, the cars and Bon Jovi on the, on that day, yeah. and, um, and it was great for the Moody Blues fans. It was just brilliant, and and for us, of course, it was. I'm so glad that we all came together. We'd lost Ray in the months before that, yeah, yeah. who'd passed on, but Mike was there and we were able to just kind of give each other a hug and that's great. celebrate our, ourselves around that whole event and, and what it meant to the Moody's fans and what it meant for our music. It was great.
0: Well, the Moody Blues have sold 70 million albums worldwide, 18 platinum and gold LPs. And you can check out some very cool things at MoodyBlues.com. And to follow what Justin is up to, visit JustinHayward.com. His new single is Living for Love. Justin, thank you for spending uh, such a, a long period of time with us uh, tonight. I, I know you're going to have fun uh, on this tour. Thank you, Dave.
1: Yeah, I am absolutely will. I just to be with my crew and, um, and my, my musicians as well. You know, we're a quiet group of people,
0: but that's kind of the way <laughs> it's about the songs. Right. And that's the way we like it. Justin Hayward of the Moody Blues. All right, much more ahead here on 720 WGN.